Bada boom, bada bing, what's happening party people and welcome to another edition of Talking During Movies, the podcast where we take key moments and quotes from a film to drive a conversation. Today's a fun one, got a, a good friend of mine here, he's an athlete, he's a father, he's an amazing human being all around. Ladies and gentlemen, the often copied, never duplicated, king of the St. Mary himself, the man, the myth, the legend... Master Mark, on the mic, what's happening, brother? How are you? Doing well, Jason. Doing well. Thanks for having me, man. This is great. Really All right. Nice. Well, I, I appreciate you doing this. Now, you know, before we hit play, why don't you uh, tell everyone what movie we're, uh, we're going to be watching today? Big classic. Football season's around the corner, so we're watching Rudy. Rudy. Uh, interesting. You know, um, I did some research. I found 10 really accomplished athletes that, that came out of Notre Dame. Jerome Bettis, Joe Montana. There's, just, there's been quite a few, some from, from yesteryear. But the interesting thing is as accomplished as they were, multiple Super Bowls, MVP awards, player awards, I mean, just you know, great guy awards, everything, not good enough to get a movie made about them. Yet a guy who got to play one down because Joe Montana was sick. They made a movie about him. Sure did. All right. I'm just, we're just, we're setting the tone here. So I'm going to hit play and we're going to chat it up. Now, <clears throat> Mark, uh, we're both having a beer here, by the way. Cheers, my friend. Thanks for being here. We're, oh, yeah. uh, we're doing a little real ale, uh, a little Texas local. As you guys know, I, I love my, my frosty beverages and uh, real ale is, is no exception. Absolutely fantastic. So, uh, obviously, this is based on a true story. For those of you, I, I'm going to start off. i, I got to tell this story because it's been running through my head since we talked about this. I was 19, maybe 20. I think I was 19 years old. I had an older brother uh, through marriage. You know, I used to call him my brother. He's a great guy. Uh, and he and his college friends had a buddy named Greg Midget. Now, Greg... When he was long and tall enough, he could put one hand on the floor and then palm the door frame with his other. That's his wingspan. And he went to Notre Dame. And so we got drunk around the campfire. We rented this cabin for like a week or a weekend or something. You know, my brother let me tag along and I'm drinking beers with the guys and we're having fun. And uh, two amazing things happened. One, uh, I became a deplorable human being at one point in time in my life. And, and that, that highlighted there. There was a young girl. Um, she was my girlfriend. She was very nice. 
She was a very nice individual. Sometimes, you know, when you're out camping and toilet paper is limited, sometimes it may be a streak can happen. Perhaps. Perhaps I saw that and I woke everyone up at 7 in the morning while she was still asleep to let her know that her new nickname would be Streak and she thought it was because she ran fast. Number two on that trip was Greg Midget told the story of Rudy for Notre Dame and we all had roles. You know, what do you want? I'm going to be Rudy. All I want to do is play football for Notre Dame, coach. You know, and then you got the coach. You're horrible. You're never going to make it. You know, and then you got family and friends saying, hey, just keep trying. You know, and then da 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 And then we'd drink and we'd he'd keep telling the story. Well, we didn't realize the cabin next door, a family had come in to spend a nice relaxing weekend on a mountain lake in the middle of nowhere. And we're out the next morning. I'm up at 7 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm excited about life. And I'm cracking open a beer. And it's, you know, the lake's like 50 degrees. It's already like 75 out. It's just, it's an amazing day. And I see this kid, and they're loading up their boat to take it out. You know, and the kid's like, yeah, you can tell the dad's just rubbing his eyes. The kid's a little tired. And he looks at his dad, and he goes, da 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 And he's like, you shut up, Tommy. You shut up. <laughs> I think we ruined their weekend. But totally. around the campfire, that was the story of Rudy. And I got to be honest, you know, I was talking to uh, my buddy Chris Howard. He almost went to Notre Dame. He actually ended up winning a national championship with uh, a little football team from Michigan, the Wolverines. Wolverines. But I got to ask, as a, you know, as a, as a man who played college sports, you know, you went and played what is the, or what's the nostalgia? What is the thing about Notre Dame that everyone loves outside of the fact that, you know, they have dirt on NBC, so anytime they do anything, it has to be front page news for NBC? I mean, you know, everyone would point to the tradition and the history, but I mean, I think what sums all that up is consistency, you know, um, in a big way, that's what it's about. That tradition comes from them time and again being in the big games, winning the big games, and winning those championships, you know? Now, I mean, they have. They've won some championships. They haven't been good, it seems like, in a very long time. Very long time. So at what point does nostalgia for college sports wear off? Or does it ever wear off? That's a great question, Jason. Um, I mean, there's still a mystique around Notre Dame. They still have you know, that tradition, that history, um, you know, and, and if they have a great season, they're going to be um, in the headlines. They're going to be front and center because of that story. I don't know that it ever wears off if you have a deep enough history and tradition and you have a past with that kind of consistency. Do you see them in the same air as the Knicks, the Yankees, the Lakers, the Celtics? Maybe the Lakers and the Celtics, right? Um, you know, more historical teams have that, that winning history, you know, maybe yesteryears, you know, where um, recently not so much so, but, you know, they're still, they're right there under the surface. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I mean, it's interesting when this takes place. I, I love the old man. I mean, he's, he's very Archie Bunker-esque. In fact, this whole scene is like the opening scene the family sitting down having dinner together. They got Notre Dame in the black and white. There's Rudy, too small, just dreaming about playing for Notre Dame. But it's also, it's, it's the air of that time. It is, you know, that Archie Bunker. Dad's got his chair. If you eat in the living room, right, you've got your little folded out tables. What, when you were growing up and you're playing sports, 
what what was your football team? Or, or what were you playing to do? Were you just playing to have fun? Or was there, a, in the back of your mind, was there a, I might be good enough to do this in college? You know, there's actually um, a lot of parallels to the Rudy story from my hometown. Um, you know, it's a very small, middle America type town, blue collar, um, on a river in Connecticut with a lot of factories and stuff like that that were, you know, shut down at the time I was there, but that's kind of the history of the area. Um, so, you know, a lot of similarities and parallels, and there was a historic winning tradition in my hometown when it came to football, you know, it was a big name, and very similar to Notre Dame, you know, in the years I was coming through, um, the last state championship we had actually won was, you know, just a few years before, I want to say five or six years, 1990, um, you know, and so there was that, that tradition, that history there, and just like current Notre Dame, same thing, you know, not so much for my hometown the last few decades, um, you know, just with some demographic shifts and, and things like that, but, you know, a lot of similarities, and yeah, I mean, um, you know, if you played and did well, you made some of the papers, it was big news, and, you know, a lot of us certainly um, had aspirations and thought we can do well and go play, you know, at a different level. Um, many of us, especially in my particular class, started um, right out of the gate when we got uh, onto the high school varsity team, and so, um, you know, that was Keep going, you're good. Yeah, that was always something uh, in the back of our minds that we aspired to, you know, trying to p play at that next level. Did you, when, when you're thinking about that next level in playing and that jump from high school to college <clears throat> is huge, you know what I mean? And then the jump from college to the pros is, is even bigger, right? They're, they're both e enormous jumps. What was... What was the, the biggest eye-opening part when you went from high school to college athletics? What was the part that you were like, oh, shit, we're, we're, we're playing a, a different level here? Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the college NFL jump. I mean, it's like it's akin to winning the lottery, right? That kind of probability. Um, you know, I want to say getting into the college level, people were just football smart. You know, um, in college, uh, you know, you really had to know the game. Um, not just be bigger, stronger, faster, but you actually had to be football good. You know, some people could stand out in high school because of just natural athleticism. But, you know, if, if you came in to try to play college ball and you didn't know the sport, you didn't put the homework in and put that time in to learn the sport um, and, and, you know, really hone your skills beyond just knowing the plays. We're talking knowing the nuance, right? Knowing where you are situationally, knowing the environment, knowing what's going on, knowing what to expect before the ball, before they even line up. Um, you know, and then based on what's going on, you see a couple things happen and you're already down to one or two plays they're going to run. You see somebody move and then bam, you know exactly what's happening. You know, and that was, you know, I want to say the biggest difference between playing in high school and playing in college. Is there a difference also in how you read quarterbacks then? Oh yeah. Every yeah. player, every player. So it's not just, so it's every player is not only has to be athletically gifted to be there whether it's just through raw work or it's, just, you know, God-given, whatever that may be, and still the God-given you've got to work at. But then the intelligence homework factor, was, that, was it like taking homework home? Oh, absolutely. You know, it was expected. I mean, the time commitment, um, it was definitely demanded of us. There was no way um, anybody who slacked off at meetings um, during film sessions was ever going to get any kind of respect or playing time. You know, that was an absolute must um, because, like I said, everybody was there 
and was accomplished and was athletic and put the work in on the field during practice and in the weight room. But really it was that work with film and the scouting reports and really just trying to understand what was going on um, situationally from a knowledge standpoint that really separated the great players in college uh, from those that you know had promise when they started because of their athleticism but might not have put all that hard work in. That seems to be like the differentiating factor of speed and strength, the knowledge. Like if you know they're running a sweep right and you know that guy's faster than you, but you also know the hole he has to hit. If you're there, it doesn't matter how fast he is. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Right? Like obviously, I mean, you've neutralized speed. Absolutely. How does knowing your knowledge and what you've done, I'm going to jump around here a little bit, but picking up on speed here, you know, you look at, guys and defenses who lose people like a Tyree kill on the field. And yes, he's very fast, but I go back to that's, it's not that he burned the person as much as it's a defensive failure on them is how I see it. Yeah. Am I seeing that correctly? Or is he just not only gifted with speed, gifted with catching the ball, but he understands the defense better than they do. Or is it a combination of all that? It's definitely a combination. But again, I think what makes players stand out that stand out is the nuance, understanding beyond just the play and where I'm supposed to be, but how can I ahead of time know where I'm supposed to be, but then do something to deceive the other player with that, make a false move, make a uh, shift my body weight in a way that indicates I'm going a different way than I actually plan on going, right? If you're too busy up in your head trying to remember which route you're going to run or which zone you're going to cover, you can't get to that level of nuance where you're, you're focusing on those details and really trying to understand where um, you can trip up another player and get ahead of them mentally because, you know, you're just focused on where I'm supposed to be. And that's where, you know, the great players really separate themselves is knowing how um, to be ahead of the game and ahead of the other player because they're so far past just knowing where they're supposed to be. They're thinking about how do I disguise where I'm supposed to be? How do I disguise what I'm doing? How do I get ahead and move before they do? Which, you know, arguably is what made uh, Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice. He wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the strongest. He didn't come from the best college. In fact, his first year, he dropped more balls than he caught. And then he turned into Jerry Rice. A superhero, for sure. A superhero. For sure, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I think I've heard stories where, you know, in his off-season workouts, he'd run 400 pass routes in a day. Yeah. You know, And, and, you know, that goes to working on that muscle memory, right? And again, because he's trying to be more mental about it. He's, you know, trying to put all of that, you know, 12 steps, cut left, cut right, all behind him so that it's an automatic process. And he can focus on how do I use my hands to get by this guy? How do I, you know, check out um, the way he's standing pre-snap to know where I'm going to go or where I'm going to get ahead of him or where I can throw him off balance because the way his weight's distributed. And again, if I'm thinking about my route and it's not, second nature, it's not completely automatic and muscle memory, then, you know, you can't get to be one of the greats like he was. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's rewind. Young Mark, you're not even in high school yet. You're just out, you know, playing in the backyard, maybe playing some organized sports, getting used to it. What, uh, what were your favorite sports? Was it football or was it basketball, baseball, hockey, or all of the above? You know, it's actually pretty interesting. I, I didn't start any organized sports until later on. Um, karate movies, kung fu, and ninja movies were big in the 80s, and that was always playing. My dad had a, uh, you know, uh, an affinity and really loved 
kung fu flicks and so those were always playing and so i was running around oh the house so so what we're, we're talking about so me too growing up my aunt sally my mom and dad got divorced when i was very very young and i once a year i'd go out and see my dad and then going out and seeing him he was a hairdresser and you know he's, his whole idea was hey if i'm not working i'm losing money right so i would go out to visit him and he's like and we're gonna visit by you know i'll, I'll see you at night so I'd hang out with him a bit, but, you know, it was one of those things where I just didn't... But I got, I got to see him a little bit. But my Aunt Sally would hang out with me. She'd take me to McDonald's. She'd take me to the zoo. But she would always rent me a kung fu movie. Or she would rent me a Chuck Norris film, right? It was Chuck Norris, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone for the, for the war movie, you know. Uh, but then it was the randoms. The people, I don't know their names. Jim Cotta. What comes to mind for me is those those ninja flicks, man. You know where you got a couple, you know, heroes, a couple bad guys, but then you got the gang of the the ninjas that are, you know, in the dark garb, kind of hiding behind the corner, or the blue ninjas hiding in the water, or the green ninjas out in the grass, you know, and um, funny stuff like that. And so I was just, you know, enthralled with those kinds of things. And of course, my dad had them going all the time. That was one of his favorite things to watch. And so I was running around the house throwing kicks and stuff like that. And they were like, let's get this kid in martial arts or something. And so, you know, when it came to sports, that came later after, you know, you start the socialization process, you're in school. Um, and being from a small town, like I said, you know, most people were three sport athletes. And so um, I started karate when I was six. You know, you're not really in school, making a ton of friends, doing a lot of hanging out. And so I started down that path. Whereas a lot of other kids may have um, gone into Little League Baseball, Bitty Basketball, that Pop Warner Football, kind of doing all three, and that was their life. And so um, I didn't get into that until uh, I started playing basketball in sixth grade. So was that, for you and your dad, was that a cool bonding experience? I mean, he's got the movies. You're running around doing these crazy kicks, begging for those fingerless gloves and the throwing stars and the nunchucks and everything else and the bow staff. He's like, like, I'm going to put him in martial arts. And then you succeeded. You did well in martial arts, correct? Yeah, I did well. Um, the school I went to was relatively new when I started attending. Um, so I was always more of a senior individual, even though I was young, right? And so, um, you know, not so much when it came to tournaments and stuff. It wasn't a school that, that focused on that as so much, but um, just instilling things. And I, I went up the ranks pretty quickly, um, you know, eventually got my black belt and everything. But yeah, I mean, back to that question about my dad. I mean, it was certainly something that he enjoyed watching. I mean, I remember him being there, just standing in the back, looking through the, the little window they had there from the little watching room. Um, every night, he was just there every, every class, whether there were other people there or not. That's awesome. That is. <clears throat> now, would you, did your dad do any sports as a kid? So, come to find out later, I mean, he was actually, you know, uh, an avid basketball player. That was kind of his thing. Um, you know, he was growing up a street kid, really. Um, you know, playing hoops is kind of his thing. Um, and so, once I started getting old enough to, to realize that, I found that was pretty cool. And then, you know, a few years after playing football, um, I don't even think he told me. Uh, other individuals came up and, and, you know, said, you're Tony's kid? And like yeah he's like dude he was he was nasty at football he used to run down the field and punch people in the helmet <laughs> which totally fits my dad and and you know I had to go ask him about it and it was just something he never really brought up um he didn't hide it when I asked him about it but you know for for him it was just something he had done um didn't think bringing it up was super important and so um, it was weird to find out that way but pretty cool too you know hearing something about your dad from someone else 
That's awesome. That is, uh, it's interesting, right? I mean, the, the areas where we bond and, uh, and don't bond, you know, like my, my real dad and I, we bond a little bit on cooking. We tried to bond on, uh, on, um, golf. I'm not a patient man or a good golfer. I'm a great day drinker though. And you know, that's where, that's where I win and lose right now. Every third or so hit, you know, I hit it pretty good. And as long as I don't try to crush it, I do okay. But he wanted me to be a good golfer and my first stepdad was a good golfer. And I just, you know, I was like, if that's what you two assholes want me to do. And I wanted to be a ninja. I wanted to go to karate classes. And the guy who was raising me was an Eastern Montana cowboy and he played football and basketball and was really good at basketball until he blew out his knees, mm. you know? And so he wanted me to be good at basketball. And, you know, we, um, I couldn't watch my favorite NFL team until I knew all the players because he loved the Cowboys and I loved the 49ers. You know, but I'm just like, I'm a kid, I'm a kid from Montana. They're starting quarterbacks, Joe Montana. I mean, come on, man. Like, this is, and he's like, not good enough. Like, you better know some people or you can't watch this. Who caught that pass? Sorry, changing the channel. Ugh. It was brutal. That was brutal. You know, and he loved the Boston Celtics. So I love the Lakers. You know, hey, step up, right? And it was battles in the house and I loved it when the Lakers won. And I loved it when the Niners won. I loved it when, you know, the, the Cowboys failed and the Celtics failed, but it was, it was combative. It wasn't, it wasn't a situation where they saw me doing something. They're like, Oh, we're going to invest in this to, to see what happens. It was like, no, we're going to create conflict and see how you deal in conflict. So it was a very different thing, which shaded sports differently to me. Because if there was no conflict in the sport, then I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Really similar with a uh, little sibling rivalry we had <laughs> back home. Um, you know, being from Connecticut, we're kind of situated between two big markets, right? You know, New York and Boston and everything. And so um, most of my family, Giants fans. My brother, always following suit with what my dad did, you know, was a Giants fan as well. So I couldn't have that. You know, there's a few, a much longer story involved here, but suffice it to say, I became a Cowboys fan way back when timing was perfect because, again, getting into football later just happened to be in the mid-90s. Convenient little bandwagon situation there, <laughs> I'd say. And so, you know, the rest is history. Not there, in Texas. No, now you're in Texas. Now you're, you're safe. Yep. You're, you're, in a, you're in a weird zone where you can be, as, as long as you're a Texas sports fan, no one really cares. Mm-mm. But if you like something outside of Texas, they started to get a little bit upset here. Yeah. Oh, know? definitely. There's that pride here for sure. Yeah. You got to you, you gotta have a backstory like I do, or they're just like, I'm, I'm, and they'll listen to it all. They'll pull up, buy, you have to buy them a beer. <laughs> you definitely better have it, though. That Montana one works. That Montana one works. one works. That works. I got to meet Joe once. Get out. And yeah, I did. And I, you know, two guys or three, one on this podcast that everyone was able to listen to when I tried to interview DJ Z trip and uh, said, putting it on wax about 9 million times, embarrassed myself, just not just fanning out. But the other was Huey Lewis from Huey Lewis in the news. Saw mm-hmm. him in the Missoula, Montana airport. He had on a denim jacket with the embroidered Budweiser bottle on the back. And we saw him and my brother goes, I think that's Huey Lewis. I mean, this is back in the day. Like, I had the double-issue Batman Rolling Stone, 1992. And I'm like, no way. And he turns and he goes, I am. (laughs) And I'm like, Mom, do you have a pen? And she's like, yes. And she had a purple felt pen. And he signed the front. I mean, this is, you know, folks, this is before he had cameras and shit everywhere. So 
like the autograph was the thing. Like you got oh, the yeah. autograph, you got the autograph. And then we went in to the bar and we, we ordered a beer and sat down next to him and had a beer. And I was just in awe. I mean, that was the first tape I ever owned, sport. My mom was doped out on drugs and I'd play on one new drug throughout the house and she'd scream and yell Bible verses at me. And I'm like, you're so high, you can't find me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John can't help you out with this one. Not at all, uh, man. Not at no. all. But it was that and then uh, meeting Joe Montana in a hot second in Montana. No way. Well, so Ed DeBartolo lived in Whitefish and he used to be the owner of the Niners. And he would come into the restaurant that I worked at and he would tip extremely well. Mr. Bartolo was a, a very kind man. And he would always be like, hey, I'm getting the bill. And I mean, I, had, I remember one time I had Dwight Clark come up and he goes, I'm going to get the bill. And he gave me a hundred bucks to give him the bill. And I'd clear out the bar area and that'd be their private little restaurant area. Like no one's allowed in the bar. Sorry, just Jay serving these people. That's it. Get, get out. And then I'd go to Mr. Bartolo and I'd go, Mr. Bartolo. And I'd ha I handed him the hundred. And I said, Mr. Clark gave this to me. He said he wanted the bill. And I remember... Mr. DeBartolo looked at me and he goes, you keep that hundred. I'm going to double it. You give me the bill. I'm going to tip you. So then I walk over to Mr. Size. Clark and I'm like, hey, at the end, I, you know, I, I gave him back his hundred. I said, Mr. Mr. DeBartolo told me to keep this, but I can't. Here you go. He goes, what do you give me this to? I go, he already got the bill. You know, and Dwight Clark's a big man. And I'm mm -hmm. stood up and I'm just like, oh, uh, you got to, he comes in a lot more than you. <laughs> the dude comes in. Uh, you're a hero. You're a monster. Oh, my God, what did I do? And he goes, well, what are you doing? I go, I'm giving this back to you. I, you know, I, part of the agreement. I didn't honor it. That's so you. And, so, and he's just like, keep it. This is walked out. Keep it and just, I'm out of here. You know, and it was, uh, it, was, it was interesting. to, But to meet him, I didn't have anything to say. I just stopped because in my mind, that's greatness. right? Played him more than one Super Bowl, never threw an interception. Played him more than one Super Bowl, never lost a Super Bowl. You know, I mean, just a monster of, of just calmness. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the guy I'm absolutely not. Not just the physical gifts, just like under, under the immense amount of stress, right? And he's like, hey, guys, at the end of the field, there's John Candy. We should go say hi to him. Well, you got 90 yards in about a minute 30 there, Joe. Want to focus on the game? But to your point, right, if you're so cerebral in it, I bring it all back to that, right? If you're mm -hmm. so cerebral in it, you don't have to be in it. Because it's you. Like you're not stepping into, into the zone. You are the zone. Your zone is just how are you impacting the people around you. You know, for basketball, you're going to make the bucket, right? Or you're going to hit the open guy. With football, it's different. Like that zone is one person can be in the zone. The running back can. But that's got to imbibe the team to be in that zone, to hit those blocks, to do those things. You know, Barry Sanders proved it, right? Mm-hmm. In the zone every game. His team, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> you know, you make me think of Peyton Manning here. You know, yeah. I feel like that's a great example of, um, you know, a man who just did so much work, right, on understanding the game. And you could see it in his focus as he's playing. You know, he takes that snap, steps back, and his body is almost moving on its own. And he's just downfield looking at things. And he's not, where are my guys? No, he knows where everybody's going to be. And I could just imagine in his head how slow the game is going, you know, just where everybody's going. He sees the whole field. You could just see the deep focus in his face and his eyes. 
And he's just figuring things out. And he's like, oh, I see his hips. He just throws the ball. He knows where his guy's going to be. It was amazing to watch. It was. And what's weird to think is that when it came to playoff runs, arguably, Eli did better. Very true. It's just a weird thing to say, folks. Very true. It's a very uncomfortable, weird thing to say because the reality is, is that in no way on uh, uh, anyone looks and goes, Eli's better than Peyton. No. But if you run the numbers, right, if you look at Super Bowl appearances and run the numbers and the teams that they beat, it's pretty tough. Oh, on paper, very evenly matched. Yeah, there's definitely some, some things on Eli's side that negates a lot of the stuff you just feel yeah. having watched the, the two, you know, um, that you can't deny. You can't deny. You know, showing up clutch like that is certainly something to keep you in those record books, you know, to keep you talked about. Absolutely. You know, and you, you show up big, especially on the biggest game, on the biggest day, that, uh, that changes things. Let, let's rewind real quick. So your dad went to all the, uh, all the martial arts practices, watching you excel and, and go through the belts. Did that transition then into sports when you started playing football? Did he start? Did he come oh, to all the yeah. games? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, games were well attended, but um, you know, I, I can't remember him ever missing a game. In fact, you know, in college, um, you know, at this point in his career, um, he was on the road a lot, and if he was anywhere near Hartford, Connecticut, where I went to college, um, you better believe he was showing up at practice. Really? Yeah, and that's not something you see. You no. Know, you don't, certainly multiple times, certainly the only parent that ever showed up at a practice, you know, um, and I'll never forget that. You know, I carry that to this day, sitting there oh. coming out, and, you know, and again, it's not like we had cell phones mm -hmm. um, where he was calling me like, hey, I'm going to stop by practice. He would just be there and show up because he was in the area, he knew what time practice was, and we'd come out, and there would just be this man on the field kind of off to the side, just doing this little hand in the pockets walk that he would do, um, watching, and it, it was it was something that's that stuck with me to this very day. You know, just knowing that guy was there. That's awesome. That reminds me of uh, so my buddy Janai Kerr. He is a water polo player. Played on the U.S. Olympic team. Played on our national team. They won a gold medal in Panama, but they were uh, I forget which Olympics it was. I was before China, and um, Janai. And he comes out. His dad's going to come out. His dad's Jamaican. Mm. And, you know, they like, it's an issue with his passport. There's another issue. And his dad's just chill. He's like, oh, I'm going to get there. I don't worry about it, you know. And the other teams, the other water polo team, they're like, Janai, is your dad going to be here? Because we really love his jerk chicken. He would roll in with jerk chicken and make it for all the teams. He would drive down from L.A. to Orange County to visit his son and watch him practice. And he'd get pulled over sometimes and miss majority of all the practice. Cops just, you know, running him through the whole, you know, why do you get this nice car? You know, why are you doing this? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to see my son. Well, come, you know, you got two years of that going on, three years of that going on. And uh, Janai's, you know, he's, they've got a barbecue for the water polo players. <clears throat> all these cops show up. It was all the cops that had pulled his dad over. He invited him. Yeah. <laughs> he reached out to him and he's like, boys, come on. We're going to have some jerk chicken. What do you expect? Yeah. What do you absolutely. expect? You know, yeah. and it was, it's interesting because the way I see your eyes light up is the way I would, you know, see 
when I you know talk to Janai about his dad, the way his eyes light up, it's that it's that connection, right? And it is what you know my my boss John Lynch says this a lot, and it's very true, and it's it's a part of his business and who he is, but it also mirrors you know what what your father did for you, which is unexpected as expected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know it's great it's, way to put it. It's yeah, I mean, expected to go to the game. Sure, you're a dad. It's a Friday night. You know, there you go. High school, go to the games. Unexpected expected is he's in the area. He's going to drive 30, 45 minutes out of his way and catch a practice. 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 Yes. Which is not the same. No, not even close. Not, not, you know, there is... The cheers and adoration, and then there's the whistle and the screaming, and you don't deserve water yet. Let's get it done. Mm. Run it again. Yeah, we had this, this, this clock um, uh, coach that came in my second year um, from UPenn brought this clock. I mean, our practices were timed down to the minute. You know, um, There were a certain number of sessions, and each particular piece of practice was timed two sessions, three sessions. And so... And we'd be doing our thing. Alarm would go off across the field. We'd move. We'd transition. You know, it's like clockwork. Do you, what do you miss about college sports? What do I miss? The camaraderie. Yeah. You know, there was certainly a brotherhood, certainly a family um, atmosphere. We, we worked really hard, spent a lot of time together. Um, you know, a lot of the, the guys I played with ended up being my roommates and a lot of them, I hang out to, to, with to this day. Um, went on a trip earlier this year with, with three or four of them, um, you know. And so just those bonds, that, that family feeling you get when you go through something as difficult and trying and, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally exhausting as, you know, playing in a, in a, in a college football season. It's, a, um, it's an interesting dynamic you know, and it's something that, uh, I mean, I just wasn't a gifted athlete, so there was, there was no, there was no, I'm a, I was in high school, I was a minute man. Coach, I'm ready. Just a minute, man. Just a minute. <laughs> settle down. Right. We're not going to get you out there yet. Uh, but it was one of the things I was, uh, I was always jealous of. Because there is that, there's one thing to have friends. There's one thing to, to go through some hard times with friends, you know, uh, there's another thing to physically push each other to the limit, to know your friend's limit, to know how far you can push them, you know, before they break. That always fascinates me. And, and I mean, I watch shows about it all the time. It could be a cooking show, it could, you know, it'd be, but it's, it always, you know, it always gives my daughter a look at me. She'd be like, Dad, are you going to cry? I'm like, no, but this is something that's just amazing to me. And it's amazing to me because... I never got it. Like, I played a little bit of high school football, but I wasn't good. You know, I mean, I just wasn't. I played a little bit of high school basketball. I wasn't good. I was much better in intramural in college and just developed later, but I was still was never going to be good enough to play anywhere. But, I mean, that camaraderie, that's different than a pickup game, right? It's different than, you know, uh, running a little five-man, seven-man fast game in the backyard. It just is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Four practices for a week straight, you know, preseason. That'll build some bonds, you know. Um, 
bunch of dudes puking on the field together. You know, that's something you can't you can't say about you and a bunch of other friends. You know, yeah, um, that's something specifically shared between you and those guys. Yeah, it's very it's a uh, it's a fascinating thing. I I wonder. Go back and do it again. Do you in high school, right? You're playing football. Do you go for college again for football? I do. You do? I do. Oh, yeah. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Um, you know, to be honest, um, I'd probably pick a less academically rigorous school and still play football. Okay. You know, um, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of lessons I learned in the classroom in college, but um, they pale in comparison to some of the on the field, on the practice field lessons, some of the bonds I've made with, with some of the men I played with, you know, um, do it all over again, for sure. What, um, what was that like? I want you to compare two things for me. One, when you think about that moment with you and your dad when you got your black belt, and then think about that moment when uh, you got a scholarship to go play college football. What were those like with your dad? I mean, you know, he, he was such a supportive, you know, individual, um, but it wasn't overly so. You know, he okay. was super verbal. So it was one of those things where, you know, um, he was there, but when it came to articulating something like praise or, you know, um, being proud, you know, it, it was the standard lines, you know, that a boy kid and stuff like that. But also, he was really hard nosed, so you know, it was like expected, you know. And so it was more like that a boy, as opposed to like, you know, I, I always heard more when I didn't come through, when I did disappoint or something like that, you know. Um, you know, I didn't pass my first black belt test, you know. Um, and so I don't even think he was around. I mean, I think it was just my mom consoling me at that point, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I knew better. Um, don't, don't bring disappointment like that back to him, you know. Um, he expected better, you know. Um, but it also came from a place of love because, you know, it was like he knew I could do better, mm -hmm. you know. And so it was a, a weird disappointment um, kind of narrative when I wouldn't come through with something like that. Was it a different feeling when I mean, you're like, Hey, I didn't get it. Dad, I got my black belt. And he's like, that's right. You did. Cause you worked hard and that's your reward. You know, there you go. High school to college. That's a big jump, right? Dad, I'm, I'm playing college football. Is it then again, is it the same thing of that's right? That a boy. Oh yeah. 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 Even for an academically, you know, rigorous school. Yeah, I mean, you know... He's it, like, no, I expect that. Don't be going to no dumb, dumb school. Exactly, <laughs> You're not going exactly. to Arizona State, son. <laughs> exactly. You know, but it was also, you know, he, neither one of my parents had that college experience. And so um, for them, it was just one of those things that society tells you you're supposed to do, right? And so like, they were just pushing me to get those grades, to get into that good school, because in their mind, that secures the future for you, you know? Um, or at least makes it easier than it was for them kind of thing, you know? And so, um, you know, whereas I look back, I'm like... You know, I might have changed a few things, um, you know, for them, uh, that wouldn't be the case. You know, definitely you want to be stressing yourself in both arenas, you know, both sure. academic, yeah, academically and athletically. Was there a, uh, growing up, I remember um, with all my parents, 
Like if they were our go-to meal, I'd go out and see my dad in Portland, go-to meal. Like we're a special meal, pizza. Go to this one pizza place. It's still open. Out in the middle of nowhere. It's awesome. You know, get some red wine. He would. I'd get my root beer and fucking pizza, you know. Was there a special meal that you and your dad did together that was just you guys? You know, I wouldn't say that, but uh, my father was Hispanic and Puerto Rican, and, you know, he, he was a really picky eater, you know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, my mom had a very limited menu to choose from, you know, and, and everything. Um, but, you know, occasionally he'd get in the kitchen and he'd cook something from his youth, you know, um, something that he remembered and was really fond of. I remember him just roasting pork in the oven and stuff like that until the thing was freaking crispy. These weird little like cornmeal hump thing stuff with cheese and everything. And so like, like when he was in there doing that, I knew he was in this weird happy place where um, he was just experiencing his child. He was experiencing his dad um, and, and that upbringing and that past. Um, and you could tell it was very nostalgic for him. You know, there was a deep connection um, to that. It was one of the few times, to be honest, that you could kind of see him kind of joyful. Really? Know, which was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nice. he was, you know, quite the comedian, you know, funny guy, lovable guy, um, owned a bar and a restaurant, stuff like that. And so he, you know, a lot of friends and everything like that and really funny. But um, just that internal kind of like derived joy when you're doing something you love. That's, you know, when he was actually cooking those foods, that's what I remember seeing on his face. Uh, you know, and it was much different than, you know, laughing with the guys from the bar or something like that. So, Sure. No, that's awesome. That's, it's interesting, you know, uh, food, the memories and the things that it evokes, you know, is there uh, with, with your daughter, you know, uh, do you guys have a, a go-to food or is there a moment when you get her in the kitchen with you and you're like, hey, we're going to, we're going to replay a little bit of my childhood here or we're going to replay a little bit of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah food. I mean... Not only my dad there, but, um, you know, his mother, my grandmother, um, one of my memories of her is, is just sitting there in her living room while she was watching us or something, watching cooking shows. That was her thing. She loved doing it. And she was, you know, she was always sitting in that rocking chair, um, that lazy boy recliner she had. And you know, she didn't move too much, you know, being elderly and everything. And we would just plop down and, and put on Frugal Gourmet, Yan Can Cook, all these different cooking shows. And that, that's why I actually enjoy cooking, um, you know, and, and you brought up my daughter. And then that, that trickled down to her. Um, she loved to help, you know, and a lot of kids do when they're younger. It fades away as they get older, right? Yeah. You know? But um, she loved helping, and I was always doing something in the kitchen. Um, meals, family meals, sitting down together was always very important to me. Um, I made sure we did that, you know, even though I'm not like some kind of trained cook or whatever, but... Um, I made sure that dinner was homemade. I made sure we all sat down to eat it, you know. And when she got to an age where she wanted to help and she could, um, you know, I'd let her. Um, and we started doing things. She was making biscuits, southern biscuits, um, by the time she was five, you know. And she'll say things like, you know, I love cracking eggs, you know. And that, that's, you know, that's great for me to hear, you know. That really warms the heart um, because that's from those memories. That's from the time where we're sitting there on a Saturday morning Again, making breakfast so that we're all going to enjoy, you know, and do yeah. some biscuits, you know, the basic stuff, nothing extravagant, you know, but really it's, it's the time spent, the bond built, those kinds of things, you know, and then sitting down with the rest of the family and doing it all. And it's interesting you bring that up because uh, it does show in some capacity, right, the, um, 
the way we've created this bond here. You know, it is, it is a lot around us bringing food together. Um, we just did a sandwich night. <clears throat> Prior to that, we had an Italian night. Prior to that, we had a curry night. Super fun. Super fun. Amazing. And we're all having fun and cooking. And, uh, you know, when you were making tiramisu for it for, for Italian night, I remember she's just, she, her head's piping up and over. She's watching. She's like, hold on, when is it my turn? When do I get to jump in on this? And we had, I mean, you know, uh, movie house. I got every freaking movie under the sun here. Like, what do you girls want to watch? Like, well, we haven't seen this one. I'm like, here you go. Boom. And at the same time, as enamored as everybody was, she was still, she's like, no, hold on, I'll be right back. Because she wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, my, my daughter's the same way. You know, uh, Philip's daughter's the same way. That they want to be part of the group. You know, this, it's reminiscent with better parenting to the late 70s, early 80s. You know, I made that joke the other night, but it's true. At 10 o'clock, an ad came on. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your kids are? Like, that's how shitty parents were back then, right? Mm -hmm, that, the, mm -hmm. that the government's like, let's just remind them. They've yep, got yep. them. Check some rooms. Are they still outside? And we're all, it's 10 p.m. Shit, are we all still up having fun? Exactly. We got to put these kids to bed. Oh, wait, we're making more stuff. Oh, wait, we're doing this. Oh, wait. And it was a full summer of that. And it was, it was fun to watch the kids evolve into what it looks like to be part of a community. Absolutely. You know, I, I couldn't be more thankful for the things that have transpired over the last few months here. Things like you're talking about, these little dinner nights, um, just getting together around the pool, you know, and again, yeah. food's always involved and that's always um, really what brings people together. Um, you're bringing up that Italian night and the tiramisu. Yeah, it was, I think ultimately, you know, I lost out to the friend factor that she was competing against when, you know, a bunch of her friends are around, it's hard to focus, but she kept popping in and yeah. I kept trying to incorporate her and just kept giving her the option, you know, and she took me up on it once or twice, but, you know, uh, certainly a part of the bond between us is that working together, helping, making a meal. You could see a sense of pride in her face too, even when she's doing something little, like putting butter in something or just mixing some eggs, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a huge accomplishment. It's, it's definitely something where, she feels involved, you know, engaged and like, hey, look what I did. Look what we did. And then, hey, we're all enjoying it. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was dusted. You know, it was dusted. Yeah. And I saw the smile on her face when she saw that empty tray. It was the one empty tray. Yeah. It was, I got goosebumps. I, mean, I really do right now because it was the one. And I'm, I, can, I can pull the picture up in my mind of your daughter. I, I pointed. I said, look. And she just smiled. Mm-hmm. Just smile. Like, That's right. I mean, it's, you know, I never had the privilege to meet your dad, but I can see it because she didn't be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I can't believe they ate all the dessert. Da, 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 da. No, she's looking at me like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah mean, no, yeah. no. I mean, did you see the work? Oh, a couple hours of work. At, yeah, son, exactly. And did you have some? <laughs> sure was delicious, wasn't it? Sure right? was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it was the dessert there. So, you know, it always gives additional points for being a dessert but you know no it was it was good it was it was interesting uh out you know football sports in general and i and the reason i bring up the food part is because you know there is team meals those team times you know um those moments where you really are together and you know for uh, religious people it's all i'll see you at the table you know when you all go to heaven. Uh, 
for other people it's how do i how do i get in how do how do i be a part of the team or the the table you know for sports how do i sit at that at that table what was it like for you as an athlete you know being at that elite table right the athlete's table everyone else they're at school together y'all are different you know what was that what was that camaraderie like you know I, and you tell this story i'm going to grab us two more beers yeah absolutely um you know i think that was an interesting thing about our particular team you know we were such um i don't want to use the cliche good group of guys but um you know we were into everything at the school um all sorts of different organizations and you know, we definitely did not keep to ourselves, you know, and, and then the school itself um, had a sense of pride around us, you know, and so um, we certainly didn't behave or act or think of ourselves, you know, in any kind of elite way you know, or separate way. And so, um, you know, we all had friends that, you know, weren't athletes and, and you know, we, we cherished and built those relationships, um, you know, and I think that's a testament to how we were as a team as well, you know, um, put the other first. You know, and, and yeah, there was that particular bond when it was a fellow, you know, football player. But, you know, certainly other friends and people in the school definitely had that same family-like feeling, you know, because, you know, our games were well attended by the student body and stuff like that. And so there was certainly a back and forth between, you know, athletes and non-athletes. That's awesome. Hold on real quick, folks. So cracking open a cold one. I'm going to try a Moonwalk Zero Gravity IPA. I picked the one with the uh, more alcohol in it. I didn't know what you had planned later on after this, but I didn't want you getting all loopy out here. Cheers, my friend. You're having a little squirt gun. I like it. There's Jason always trying to be more efficient. John Favreau, Mr. You know, pre-superhero, is uh, you know helping Rudy. I you know. Vince Vaughn's in this too. I know Vince That's... Vaughn, the handsome devil. There's, there's actually it's quite, it's quite an all star lineup. It really quite, is yeah. an amazing group of individuals. It's, uh, it's a well written, well done movie. I always find it interesting that these movies are successful, and the reason I find it interesting is because a we know the end, we know how the story plays out, right? So there's no mystery. If you're sitting on the edge of your seat watching this, you should be embarrassed because we, we know how it ends up. So that means the acting has to be that much better. I mean, it's like going to play a football game and the coach is like, hey, you guys, travel to the future. Just want to let you know uh, we lose uh, 21-23, but let's go give it our all. And you're like, okay, we're going to go play our hardest. No, no one does that except for these dumb movies, right? We, we know the end. We know the one play, yet at the same time, the nostalgia, and I bring it back up again, the nostalgia of Notre Dame, the gold helmets, the three-leaf clover. I mean, can't you make it four? That's the luck of the Irish. Yeah, the, no one, no one's Irish. getting lucky on a three-leaf, you know, and the, and, and the fact that this, you know, it's, it's a student body doing all of this. Like, I don't, I wonder who does it now. But you know all the all the working kids these days. You know, I, I don't do an internship unless I get paid twenty dollars an hour. They'd be looking at this, losing their damn minds. Like, how much do they get paid per helmet? No, they just enjoyed being around college sports. Oh, yeah. Say what? But what about their time? You know, and time is one thing you don't get back, obviously. But 
the one thing this movie really does a good job of is, man, maybe this is the nostalgia that is Notre Dame. And it is the community. There seems to be this thing, this community. Everyone coming together for an education and a gold helmet. Which is interesting, but it's also the most obtuse thing. About, I mean, I went to two different colleges. We didn't have a football team. Kind of had good basketball teams. Had great athletes. Kind of, you know, we had a great, uh, you know, um, girls softball team. Had a really strong men's baseball team. But none of it was always really. It was small private schools, you know. Uh, and it's interesting how that community changes when you've got a rallying point around it, Right. And that rallying point is that gold helmet. It really is. It's, it's fascinating, you know. And now, I mean, well, they, I mean, they had such a great coach, Lou, for such a long time, you know. And, and I wouldn't say gracefully let him go. It's just like Texas, right? Didn't really let the right, <laughs> right? You're like, well, you've done so much for us. We're going to just let you hang on as long as you want. We're not going to put you out to pasture too early, mm. right? Some schools have gotten trouble doing that. Yeah. They got in trouble letting people go too soon. I mean, in the pros, you know, New England was like, well, they got to let this old guy go. This old quarterback is washed up. Let's just let him go. And he goes down to Tampa, and he's like, I might want to see another Super Bowl. I want another Super Bowl. I might just do this one more time. With all your knowledge of football and as much as you enjoyed playing, do you like watching professional football? I do. I mean, I definitely would class myself as, as you know, the, the casual, casual sports fan. Um, you know, I don't make it my life. Yeah. Um, you know, I got plenty of other things that, that I'm doing, but, you know, I do enjoy um, when there's the time sitting down and catching a game, um, you know, feeling those feelings, watching just some of the, the, the sheer athleticism of some of these guys, you know, and just some of the, the new stuff that teams are doing. You know, yeah. it's, always, it's always very... Um, exciting to catch some just some new strategies or just a, a total new trend or whatever but you know you want me to add a little layer into here to, to please notre dame mystique you know add some have, add some notre dame mystique have you been have you been up there no but my cousin jolie her uh her son he went to notre dame I'm talking all this shit about notre dame and he went there and i mean and this kid's going to medical school now i mean he's listen a-list athlete. I believe he played football there. And now he's going to medical school. So, you know, I mean, trust me, folks. I talk, but I do have mad respect. Obviously, I have family that went there. I've never been. There are a couple places I want to go watch college football. I just, I want to experience it. I want to understand it. Uh, one, I, I want as much as I don't, I don't like them. I want to go see Bama play Oh, in Bama. I want to go see Georgia play in Georgia, right? I mean, you've been to Michigan? You've been to I would know, but if I'm oh. going to Michigan, I'm going with Chris Howard. Yes. I mean, I'm going with a guy who won a national championship, yes. wearing the ring, and I'm just, you know, and then it's, I forget the cartoon, but you got the big bulldog that's walking around. You got the little yippy dog going, mm -hmm. yeah, that's my friend, that's my friend. Mm -hmm. That would be me. I'm like, is he my friend? I, I, was, I was delayed on a flight. Coming back from St. Louis to Austin, had Harper with me, my daughter. I had checked in. She's my companion pass at Southwest. Southwest is 
just goofy on their rules. And so I check her in at the, you know, the 24 hour mark or whatever, 12 hour mark, 12 hours, one second I check her in and she's C1. I check in 20 minutes before we leave to go to the airport and I'm A1. So I walk up to this guy and he's got a Michigan hat on and I just smile. I go, hey man, uh, dumb question amnesty. He's like, okay. Like, I'm A1, my daughter's C1, she's eight years old. Does she just wait or do I just go back with her? I mean, I just want to make sure we, we, we sit together. I think that'd be pretty cool. You know, do you mind? And uh, he goes, no. He goes, well, we're not spoiled on. Let me just see. And I'm like, are you a Michigan fan? He goes, no, born a Michigan fan. I'm a Michigan, Michigan fan. Like, I, I know everybody that went to Michigan. I'm like, so the last time they won a national championship, you know, Nebraska, he's like, don't bring up Nebraska. I'm like, hey, man. Fuck Nebraska. That's how I feel. Did I say that out loud? Didn't mean to use the F word in front of you, sir, but I'm just saying. He goes, no, that's the correct way to use the F word. I said, you know, uh, my buddy, and when I say my buddy, I mean, we can text him if you want to. Chris Howard. And this dude's like, first of all, she walks on A1 with you. Like she is next to you. <laughs> Look, he's like, Linda. No, no, no. She's with A1. They're going to walk in together. So then I shoot this video with him. I'm like, hey, Chris, I've got a fan of yours here, Southwest, St. Louis. He's like, oh, my God. He's like, he's calling out plays on third and three. And I'm like, all right, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, we're boarding now. I go, but listen, if he gets back to me, how do I let you know? And he goes, just tell someone on the plane. Here's my name. Gives me his name. So we're about to take off, and this Guy walks in, you know, he's doing all the final checks. They go, excuse me, and we're right in the front. And he's looking at me, I go, no, you. Like, I need, you're going to walk back out there, aren't you? And I go, yeah. And I give the guy's name, Michigan Hat. He goes, yeah. I said, will you please, you know, take a picture with your phone of this response from Chris Howard to him? He goes, why? I go, trust me, it's going to make his day. Goes up, does the thing, pilot comes on. All right, we're ready to take off, you know, and every pilot's got that cool voice. Yeah. And folks, now we're uh, finally taking off to St. Louis. One quick thing, uh, person X, Y, and Z up at gate C12 would like to say thank you. He got the message from Chris Howard, and he is blown away. Uh, flying time will be two hours and 12 minutes with a headwind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was, so I, you know, I tell Chris and Chris is like, what are you doing? I'm like, using and abusing your name because you're not. All right, I'm just, <laughs> dude. Yeah. So as to say all that, yeah, I'll go to a Michigan game with Chris. I'm not going by myself, run around telling people I know him. He's going to be like, yeah, okay, buddy. Mm, the big house. Oh, man. They the got, big house? Are you kidding me? Come on. Capacity is like 100,000, but they got footings that were put in place when the place was built to go up to 150. Like, that thing is just sitting there waiting to be the biggest stadium in the country. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, those are some of the places that, you know, when you think nostalgia, you think tradition. Um, you know, the thing I was going to add, the layer, the dimension to, to Notre Dame is I've been. Oh, you've been? So yeah. You've, you've, you've felt it. Well... I didn't go for a football game. I mean, you may be familiar that it's, it's also a religious institution. Yes, it is. You know, they have a... Were a, you going to become a, a priest? I was not, but um, <laughs> several deacons from my church were being ordained um, because the congregation of Holy Cross that is up there in Notre Dame, they staff or provide 
the the priest for the particular parish I used to go to um, down here in, in off Altorf, St. Ignatius Martyr Catholic Church. And so a bunch of them were about to get ordained, and so the church put together this little this little trip, little pilgrimage. So I got a coach bus, got on a coach bus, drove through the night all the way up to Indiana from Austin, Texas. Don't I ever do that again. Night. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> there's this weird thing where they got to stop every two hours, even in the middle of the night when everybody's sleeping. Um, and yeah, we went up there, stayed for a few days. Probably familiar with Touchdown Jesus. Oh yeah, right. You know, and so it was. It was really interesting to know about Notre Dame, the football legend, right? The football school. Um, but be there the one time I'm there and go up for something so much different. Yeah. But yet something you could tell was so much a part of the atmosphere, the environment, the identity of that place. You know, um, it was definitely um, a weird juxtaposition, a weird um, experience to kind of like be there and not have anything to do with those gold helmets. You know, um, it, it was it was quite the experience. We're we're at the Christmas scene here, and you're from the Northeast. Two with things with actual that, snow. With actual snow, so two things I got to ask. One. Just putting out an APB, maybe John Walsh from America's Most Wanted would like to take on this mystery. What the fuck happened to tinsel? It just disappeared one year. Like one year, it would be like, we don't just do tinsel anymore. Mm -hmm. And then no one does it. Like it was, it, was, it, was a, it was an election that was held when kids were asleep. Just some people voted. And all of a sudden, tinsel was off the map. And then so two, one, what happened to tinsel? Two, how much do you miss that right there? See, the scene we're looking at right now, folks, is that it's wet and snowy, which means ice, but only black ice. Don't worry. Don't never worry. that puddle. That puddle never freezes, but the, the asphalt top always does, right? So we've got we've got wet, we've got frozen, we got snow, we got snoff snow, we got the crunchy snow, and we got that dirty, dirty gray snow. snow. Oh. How much you miss all that? You know, I do. I do. <laughs> from, a, from afar. From afar. From, from this afar, movie, you miss Very it. nostalgic, right? Not if I was ever having to shovel it or push my car out of it again. But, um, you know, there's something about growing up there, experiencing that, and having that be what I identify as that season, right? You know? Um, and, and also... So much nicer, though, to get tackled in 80-degree weather than 12-degree weather. I'm, oh. That's just a scientific fact. Oh, man. I'll, I'll never forget a game um, <laughs> where, you know, the week or two before just downpoured, right? A really, really rainy season. Um, I want to say it was one of our last games of the year. It was definitely the one, I think, right before Thanksgiving. And it had dropped to below freezing for the game. It was a night game. And you could literally go out on the field, and during warm-ups, you could just see cleat prints in the mud from, like, the previous week, and they were frozen solid. So, like, there was no stepping on that and not breaking your ankle, right? Because it was, like, someone else's cleat on an angle, and you tried to step on that same piece, and you're not fitting in there. And then landing on something like that, just hard little bumpy surfaces, it, it was like playing on concrete. Um, it definitely was something I don't you slide on it when it's when it's smooth oh god yeah nothing fun about that nothing at, at all. all nothing at all and there's not enough tape with the equipment guy 
to where he's like, don't worry, this ankle won't sprain. You're like, great. Have you taped the knee and hip? Because when the ankle doesn't move, the next joint up is like, my turn. I'll go ahead and get blown out real quick. And I remember, I remember the plight of the, the backups, right? You know, because they oh, yeah. still had to go out and warm up. They still had to go out and get sweaty. And oh. then go sit on the sideline for an entire game and just freeze to death. You know, having all that sweat just, just chill them out to the bones. I mean, we had these big old overcoat jacket things that, you know, most schools don't even have anymore, but they were a holdover from, you know, an era gone by. They would just kind of sit on our pads and they had hoods and stuff like that. No sleeves. You no. Know, just these little things. Um, and they would put those on, but oh, they wouldn't help at all when it's, when it's five below, you know, in a night game and you're just chattering. Oh, I, I, I used to feel for those guys, you know, because after a while, when you're in there, your body's making heat and stuff like that. But those individuals sitting on the sideline, it was torture. It was brutal. I mean, Big Fork, Montana, oh. freshman year. You know, folks, this is back in the day when we still had snow. We had snow. Your Halloween outfit was built around your moon boots. Touchdown, Jesus. Your ha- it was built around moon boots and your snow pants. So you were, you were a ghost, but you were like the Michelin Man ghost because you had some shit on. Yes. We didn't get cool. Your, your whole outfit was, I'm in a snowsuit and I'm wearing a mask. So you're Mickey Mouse in a snowsuit. You're the scream dude in a snowsuit. There was none of this bullshit where someone like, there was no hot girls running around, titty, titty, strutty, strutty, because it was negative five and there was snow up to your ass. Now with global warming, motherfuckers be walking around, hey, it's Thanksgiving, what are you gonna wear? I'm gonna wear a tube top, a jock strap, a cowboy hat, and I'm gonna be the Sundance kid on a bike. And it was like, that's cool. Didn't have that option. I remember even the layers, right? I mean, yeah. we're, talking, we're talking like layers. pre-Under Armour days, right? Yeah. You know? And so everyone's long got johns. those long johns and stuff like that. And, and it's amazing because you go back and watch those tapes and you're just like, yeah, it's like they're wearing ski gear. They're not fast at all. You no. know? I mean, place look <laughs> terrible. We look like a ragtag. <laughs> just like you're saying, the masks on, nine different shirts and stuff, socks, six different socks on. You can't possibly do a spin move in all that gear. And if you're a lineman like I was, guess what? You're not allowed to go out there in mittens. Mm-mm. No, 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 son. You listen, you're not. You're, the coach will look at you and be like, what, what, what are you doing? I'm a freshman. I'm going out in my mittens. I'm like, first of all, boy, you're going to take those mittens off right now. Your hand is going into that snow. It's going to get cold. It's going to get blue. Shit, it might get frostbite. I don't know. But I'll tell you what you're not doing. You're not going out in mittens. No, I certainly never see, saw a pair of mittens when I was playing. The fuck no. We were a, I mean, they just, they didn't, uh, water breaks, bullshit. It was, it was such a different time. And I, and I think some of it was good because it broke kids in a good way. And, and I really do mean that. You know, I, I think that toughness and hardship, like when my daughter comes over and she's with me and I go to the gym, I bring her. And I make her walk a mile and a half. At minimum, two mile an hour speed. She's nine. She's got short legs. I'm not <clears throat> making her run. I just want her to walk. And she goes, this is boring. I'm like, yeah, I know. It sucks. Embrace the suck. I, I wish there was some carryover. Without the personal injury and death and dehydration part, right? I don't want that, folks. Trust me. But I do want carryover. 
we got to learn how to embrace the suck a little bit. Life's not supposed to be good all the time, right? Now, does that mean I want life to be bad for people? Not at all. But you have to know how to handle bad situations, and you can't do that unless bad shit happens or unless you've just decided to put your body through things that just aren't fun. Yeah, David Goggins, man, do something that sucks every day. You know, that guy, you want to feel you want you want to feel lazy. <laughs> yeah. Subscribe to his Instagram and just get screamed at all day long. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and I, I'll distinctly remember a, a friend of mine, um, you know, big skier lives out in Lake Tahoe right now. Um, but when we were living together, you know, back in Connecticut high school and stuff like that, we do some skiing and, and, you know, I started that, that late as well, you know, um, ski club late in high school. And, and so he was, he was great at it by the time I started and you ask him for advice or whatever. And it was weird because he didn't give the advice you would expect, like do this or do that. He was like, best piece of advice I ever got was you're not skiing if you're not falling. You know, and, you know, for me, what that meant was, you know, if you're not pushing the envelope, if you're not coming up to the edge all the time and, you know, occasionally falling over, then you're not growing. You know, yeah. because you're never getting up to that point where you have to force yourself to learn something new. You force yourself to adapt, to, to, to really grow, um, you know, and so, yeah, I hear that. It's interesting, man. Yeah, I just... You know, you want you want life better for your kids, but you also you got to have that better be a piece of struggle too, so they achieved it, right? If you hand it to them, you hand it to them. What have they done? You know, do I want my kid to cut her finger with a sharp knife to prove that knives are sharp? Hell no, never. Will I teach her the proper ways to cut? Absolutely. If she does it wrong and cuts her finger, I look at her, I'm like, were you doing it incorrectly? Yeah, and I cut my finger. And it's just... Well, I know it sucks, but now is dad full of shit when he says, bend your fingers this way and, and you, know, you, you, you graze off the knuckles like this? No. All right, well, let's not be afraid of the knife. Let's, be af- let's instead remove the fear and embrace the discipline. Because you just lost discipline for a moment. Yeah. I mean, I bring that lesson into parenting as well. That whole, you know, you're not skiing if you're not falling. You know, I mean, I, I view my job as a parent to raise a responsible individual. You yep. know, and for me, I'm there to put her in those situations that are going to challenge her. You know, to be there with her. Right. But, you know, for me, if she's not falling down, busting a knee, then I'm not doing my job. Yeah. You know, because then I'm being too protective and then I'm not letting her learn, letting her grow, letting her adapt. Um, you know, and so I constantly push her. You know, if, if I stop and whenever something new comes up, no matter what it is, if I know she, quote, can do it physically, like there's nothing stopping her, even if it's something she didn't do, I'm all for it. You know, and I'm just there to catch her when she falls. There That's you it. go. Um, you know, because... The, there's no growth in, in, in protective parenting and helicopter parenting. There's nothing there, you know, and they're not going to learn. Um, they're not going to be challenged. They're not going to see for themselves what they can do, which I think is some of the most beautiful things that they can discover about themselves, right, is to, to you know, fall, 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 but then cross that barrier and make it, you know, and do something that, you know, they might have questioned, they didn't think they can do, yeah. whatever, you know. Um, 
right? I think that those are the moments that, you know, really connect us when, when, you know, you can actually be spontaneously proud because she did something that neither one of you expected her to be able to do because you put her in that situation, you know, but if you held her out of it, you're never going to get that moment. Oh, exactly. We were, uh, it was a Taekwondo with harps and <laughs> she never pulls her elbow pads up to the elbows. I'm like, Hey, there, I've told her a couple of times, I'm like, guess what? They're not, they're not forearm darts. And so she's doing something and they're doing, and she falls and hits her elbow and she's crying. And the teacher comes over and I give this look and all these other parents are like, look at this asshole. And I go, get over here. So the teacher, you know, the very nice man, listen, kick my ass any day of the week, twice on Tuesday. He's like twice. a seventh degree black belt, walks her down and he goes, Hey, do you mind? He's like, sure. I look at him like, where was the pad? She points to her forearm. I'm like, where'd you get hurt? She points to her elbow. I'm like, what's this called? Elbow pad. You, know, you want to wipe up the tears and pull it up where it's supposed to be? Doesn't take a genius. Does he? <laughs> it's just, I'll tell you what, haven't had that problem again. Yeah, yeah. Now, did I want her to fall on her elbow and hurt her elbow? No. Was it really hurt? No. But I can, I'm, I'm going to tell you twice. We have three rules in this house. Listening matters. Manners matter. You're not allowed to say can't. Makes everything else real simple. I, I don't like the idea of fencing. Right. So and what I mean by that is, and you, you can relate this to sports as well. It's like, all right, you're going to own your zone or this is something I don't want you to do. I don't want you to do cocaine because you're nine. That doesn't mean I go, all right, well, you can't have caffeine or sugar or, or anything that gets you hyper because theoretically that's what cocaine does. And then you'll be addicted to cocaine. I don't fence it. Listening matters. Manners matter. Don't say can't. So listen to me. And when you listen and you have manners and something happens, guess what? There you go. Mm -hmm. I don't have to build fences. And then I don't have to remove a fence every year. I'm just like, just don't do this dumb shit. You're nine. You can't drive a car. Well, that's not fair, Dad. Well, it is, actually, for everyone else around us. Right? right? It just, but I'm not building buffers that say, well, therefore, you can't drive a go-kart. Because she could get, if she can figure out a go kart, she could figure out a car. Oh my goodness, I'm not layering that shit out. No, just don't drive a car. Yeah, no, like I said, that you know, can she physically? Yeah, she can put her hands on that little round thing to the steering wheel. Yeah, she can move it left and right, put a seatbelt on. She's good to go. You know. Yeah. And so get her in there. If the opportunity presents itself, don't be. Oh well, what if this? No. If she can, she can. She does. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll grow from there, right? We'll be better from there. I saw your eyes. Mm. During, the, during the practice montage, I saw your eyes lighten up like you're oh. missing pieces of that. Just Dude, getting the, the, the smell of grass, oh. the grass stains on a uniform. The ring drills. Oh, man, you know? I, it, it's something you miss. Um, you, get, you get all riled up. You really kind of put yourself in, in, a, in, a, in a very interesting mental place um, to get beat up like that, you know? But it, it's... Definitely part of the game, especially the years that this is going on, right? You know, yeah. again, with that, that non-technology uniforms, those non-synthetic fibers and just, you know, the big down and dirty equipment that we had back then. It was also, it, it was interesting. And one thing I, I like about this movie is the realistic part of, we always got played out in thinking that before, 
you know, it was always the hardest worker out there that got the chance, the opportunity. You just got to work hard and you get it. And this movie showed one thing with all of his failures, right, was that they really didn't care until they needed it, which is very, you know, reminiscent of what is college football. Yeah. We really don't care about you until we need you. And then when we're done with you, guess what? We're done with you. What have you done for me lately? Yeah, right? NFL, not for long league. Yeah. What, what do you think about, as a college athlete, kids getting paid now? Oh, I mean, it's great. You think it's great? Oh, I do. I do. I mean... You don't think it creates a, a caste system, a natural caste system in the locker room? I still think it's better than the alternative. Okay. You know, being saddled with necessarily all the risk, right? None of the reward. None of the reward. You know, and I mean, we, we were talking about earlier, you know, it's akin to winning the lottery, making it to the pros. Mo there was commercials, right, about college athletes. You know, most of these players will go pro in something other than sports. Yeah. That was the line from the commercial, I believe, right? Yep. You know, and so, um, you know, so many of these kids, I mean, if you think about playing college football, I feel like statistically, I remember hearing it's guaranteed one major injury, one major surgery, you know, playing college football, you know, and, and to to subject yourself to that, to benefit an institution the way some of these football programs benefit some of these schools, some of these basketball programs benefit some of these schools, right? You know, I mean, you, you do, you get on the internet right now, you look up the highest paid government employee in every state is either a football or basketball coach. Yeah. You know, um, they're not on the field, you know, um, assuming that risk, you know, of course, they're an integral part of the program, you know, and, and, and most often they deserve every dollar, but you know, I always thought the trade-off of, well, they get a free education. I was like, hmm, yeah, when they're in a wheelchair the rest of their life or when, you know, they don't quite talk the same. <laughs> a few hits, a few, you know, I mean, I just thought it was too much risk to not be compensated. Now, is, is it the perfect way right now? I don't know, but I think we're taking a step in the right direction. You know, um, acknowledging the risk that some of these people um, put themselves to, you know, and th there's always that, that background issue. How many of these people have been pushed along throughout their academic career? You know, um, how, many, how many high school athletes can't read? Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. And so we're putting people in positions where, again, exploiting them essentially, right? You know, taking advantage of them because of a particular talent they have. You know, and again, to not recognize that with some kind of compensation, I always thought was wrong, you know? I mean, I'm no football whiz. I'll let you know, watching these drills, Rudy's footwork is atrocious. 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 His hips are wrong. His feet are wrong. His shoulders are wrong. And he doesn't mind getting those concussions every, every moment. Every moment. You know, they do a really good job in this movie of letting you know he sucks. Yeah. The only reason he's there. The only reason there's even a movie is because he won't stop, because he keeps getting up, right? You know? I mean, and even this scene, right, going so far as to be like fight somebody who, yeah. who was trying to be soft on him, you know? I mean, it's absolutely... Um, I mean, I think it's what makes this story, you know? I, you were talking about... Um, why a movie like this 
is so popular. You know, mm -hmm. we all know the ending. There's no suspense. There's no yep. thrill. But it's that archetypal character, right? It's that underdog story, you know, that we all rally behind because we all want to believe in ourselves in these types of situations where there's no hope. There's virtually no probability of success. Yeah, it's a... Uh it's interesting because, you know, what did he make out of this besides a movie, right? I mean, you're a piece of nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, I know his name. Yeah, I mean, but you're, now you're just, you're, you're a piece of the Americana story. Oh, yeah. And nothing else. And for being tenaciously, unapologetically willing to get your ass kicked just to get some grass stains. I mean, it, you know, it's relatable, right? It's the thing we can all do, right? You might not be able to dunk. You might not yeah. run a 4-3. You might not bench 400 pounds. But you can get back up. You know? And, and that's what they do in this movie. That's what he does in this movie time and time again. You know? And I think that's why there's that relatable factor. You know? Um, there's a person that's such a big fan. Um but he does something that's within all our grasps, right? So when we get knocked down, get back up. Never mm -hmm. stop believing. All of those things that, you know, no matter how hard we try to ignore them or deny them, um, when we face ourselves, we can't always get back up. We can't always keep going. We can't always stay hopeful. It is, um, I wonder for you, you know, where, let me see here, we are... We're going through the ass kicking. We've got, you know, 20 minutes left here, basically, of this movie. Um, I'm wondering, you know, when you look back and you think about everything you've done and you're thinking about your daughter, you know, and, and you're thinking about change and all that, you know, being a parent, and we've, you've talked a little bit about it. If she's not following, you're not succeeding. But I also, you know, the sports are changing, right? I mean, you're getting guys playing girls' sports or, you know, that are transitioning and doing things. And I don't want to get into the politics as that as much as I want to get into the idea of sports, when we were growing up, it was a thing to do. When, now that they're growing up, it's, it's not that it's not a thing to do, it's just that now it is, it's, it's, it's changed, it's evolved. It's become this emotional marketplace and political marketplace. Do you even want your kid to do sports? Oh, I sure do. Yeah? I sure do. Okay. You know what I mean? You know, I don't want to say I'll tell you why, but I, I can tell you why. I, I, can, I can think of one memory that I have that would make it all worth it for her because it's probably the biggest lesson I've ever learned. Okay. Um, you know, we, we won. We did well. Mm -hmm. You know, my second to last season, we um, – Split the league championship with another team. We both had one loss. It was one of those three-team three, three team thing where we beat them, they beat them, we beat us. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but that, that, that last year, um, you know, we won outright. You know, undefeated season. 
we were monsters. It, 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 we were just a really, really good team. Um, you know, but the lesson, the thing I'll, I'll, I'll go back to is, this is the second to last game of the season. It, it was the only time, it was the only game that we went into halftime behind. You know, um, we were down and we were playing Amherst. And, um, you know, we went into halftime down and, and um, hadn't been that way all season. All season, pretty much dominate from the start of the game, right? That was how we played. Um, but this particular game, we just happened to be down at halftime. And I remember, for whatever reason, I came into where we were meeting at halftime kind of later than everybody else. And I remember kind of really observing and walking into the situation and seeing, you know, everybody with their positional coach and having their little meetings. You know, linebackers with linebackers, linemen with linemen, with their lineman coach, you know, and kind of going over the things and talking about adjustments and stuff like that. And the one thing I noticed is there wasn't a person in there that thought we were going to lose. There wasn't a person in there that had any kind of doubt about the outcome of that game, you know? And in a situation that was foreign, what we're talking like, you know, deep into the season, you know, never having been down, right? Perfect opportunity to be panicked, right? Perfect opportunity to be focused on, oh, shit, what's going on? You know, what, what are we doing wrong? Oh, my God. You know, what, what do we got to do to change? Are we going to lose this game? You know, and that wasn't present at all. You know, it was business as usual. There wasn't a person in that whole halftime huddle situation that had any kind of doubt about the outcome of that game. You know, and for me, that speaks to faith, right? That speaks to belief. That speaks yeah. to the absence of any kind of fear, any kind of doubt. You know, and I remember it was, it was very noticeable. You know, and I just kind of, I was like, you know what? I just immersed myself into it when I got there. And I'll never forget that feeling um, of a certain outcome before it even happened, you know? And, you know, I kid you not, you could look this play up on the internet. I mean, we won that game. Um, and it wasn't just on some, you know, oh, we fought it out for the next two quarters after halftime. Um, there was a crazy play that kind of sealed it for us, you know? Um, there was a punt. It was, it was us punting to the other team, and, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was, they were punting to us, and it was one of those things where, you know, no one caught it, and so, you know, it just kind of rolls dead. All the other team kind of circles around it, right? Mm -hmm. Ref didn't blow it dead. No one touched it. Our team captain stepped in the middle of, like, five other dudes from the other team, snatched the ball, ran it back, and scored. It was crazy to watch it. You could find the play on the Internet. It was amazing, you know, but it's exactly the kind of thing that you knew was going to happen if it needed to. Yeah. Because we were going to win that game. You know, there was no doubt in that halftime huddle about what was going to happen. And I felt, you know, being able to pass something like that on, being able to talk to my daughter about having such a conviction, such a faith in something, such a belief beyond what's being seen, right? Because it was not a pretty first half. <laughs> you know, and, and like I said, we, we were in uncharted territory being behind. And um, to, to still, with that, not doubt, you know, I thought that was a, a super huge lesson. How much do you take in that, that not doubt? How much of that do you take into parenting on the days when you don't feel, when, you, when you're down at the half? Oh, all the time. All the time, you know, um, you know, you, you do something and um, 
you're, you're, you're taking the kid, you're, 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 you, you, in the back of your mind, you got all your dad stuff, you got all your parents stuff, you got all your adult yeah. thing that you got to do. And, you know, and you're like, oh, should we go to the pool again this week? Or should we do this? Or should we do that? You know, and, and you push yourself. And then, you know, a moment happens, and you're like, oh, man, I still got all this stuff to do. And then, you know, she comes in there with her pajamas, you know, after you came back from the pool and she's changed and rinsed off and stuff like that. And she's like, you know, I just want to thank you for setting up these play dates, for taking me to the pool, you know, and, and you know, while I'm sitting there on the edge of my bed thinking about all the things I got to do for tomorrow after she goes to bed. Yeah. And she comes out of nowhere and shows gratitude, you know, game changer. You know, it hits me real hard and, and reminds me that that's why I'm doing this, you know, and that, that she sees this. She understands what's going on, the things you put yourself through. Um, so that absolutely pull those kinds of things out there, you know, because, you know, in the moment, you know, I know to myself, it's really easy to say no. Oh, yeah. X, Y, Z to do. You know, sure. In the back of my head, I'm like, but there's this relationship. There's this friend. You know, there's this bond they're building. There's this experience, right? Um, there's that time that I won't get back. You know, am I going to waste it doing something that ultimately isn't going to be important, right? Or am I going to go and spend this time with this friend, with this person? Am I going to go experience life with them, you know? Or am I going to be in my head all worried about something that in the long run isn't going to be valuable? Not to uh, get too personal, but I got to ask you, um, how much more does that gratitude mean to you? And how much of it do you wish you could share with your dad? You know, an, an incredible amount. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, you know, even here, just talking about the fact that you know, I got I got two league championships having played football. Got a ring. You saw none of it. Yeah. Neither one of those seasons, you know. Um, but, you know, I think back. But he those, did. Yeah. Right? I mean, he wasn't there, but he was. Right? Yeah. And, and when you ask that question, I immediately think about those practices. Yeah. That he's at. You know, those things that, like, you know, any normal person would be like, what are you doing, man? You know, you're busy. You've got all this stuff going on. And you're going to stop and watch a practice? Right? You're going to come up. You're going to be the only one, right? It'd be one thing if everybody was doing it. It'd be one thing if it was, you know, a bunch of five, six, and seven-year-olds, right? And it's, you know, it's kind of like everybody's there. And it's a social thing, too. It's, it's no. It's a Wednesday. And this guy just met with three vendors, you know, had to chew people out because deliveries aren't on time, because things aren't being produced or whatever. Um, but also, I'm at practice. I'm did, at practice. Did that teach you how to hit pause from work to dad? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it helped me cut through the noise, you know, and clarify at times when it's hard to cut through the noise, to, to not be overwhelmed by all the, you know, seemingly have-to-dos, important things, and just see what truly matters, you know? that time spent, that bond built, you know, those kinds of things, you know, um, that lesson that, that you did instill, that seed you planted that ends up being her coming into the bedroom being like, thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate you. 
I'm grateful for you. You know, um, those things mean all the things in the world as opposed to like, hey, you know, I got that thing for work done. I got that yeah. spreadsheet to whoever on time. <laughs> you know, um, you know, ultimately those are the things that I'm going to have to live with. And, you know, in these days where it's, it's hard to know if you're doing the right thing, um, that's all the proof I need, you know, that I'm doing the right thing, that I am putting the right things first. No, absolutely. It seems like uh, you have your story of of who you are today and who you'll be tomorrow is is built in leverage through transition, right? I mean, martial arts transitioning into sports, going from solo to team, going from movies and fun with dad that turned into an event where he could watch you succeed and grow. I mean, damn near like the movies, you just took longer than two hours, right? Right. Uh, into team, and then that transition of let me show you what's important, right? Is that I'm here, I show up, and this is what it looks like, and this is what it means, and that transition into, hey, I've instilled these, the fun, I've instilled the work, and I've instilled the support, you know, and then um, giving that to you to carry along. Right, and now to have an amazing daughter and then to fulfill that transition again. Right? To be like, we're gonna have fun, we're gonna have support. We also got rules. We gotta get shit done. And there have been many a times I've texted me like, hey, you wanna do this? You're like, Yeah, we just got some chores to do. Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I got you, I'm with you. Well, yeah, and I appreciate that. Thank you, you know, for the compliment for her. Um for me it's easy to see, you know. I mean a lot of people will pull up your kid's report card and, and cite the the straight A's and stuff like that. And and you know, I'm not don't get me wrong, all that stuff's important. Yeah. For sure, you know. But for me, it's being at a birthday party, you know, for some kid and having their mom come up to you and say, you know, your daughter's amazing. Yep. You know, my, my daughter's really shy. You know, we just had this crazy pandemic and you know, we had this weird situation at home and she was really late getting to school and didn't have a lot of friends, but your daughter couldn't have been more sweet to her. Your daughter couldn't have been more welcoming. You know, your daughter couldn't have been more supportive to her. Thank you. You know, I'll stand that testimony up to any straight A report card all day long. You know, because oh, that 100%. speaks to the character and her little person that I'm building, you know, that we're building that, you know, kind of is that positive feedback to know that, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You know, even when you're stressed out, even when you got a million things to do, prioritizing those relationships and those people and those friends, it's, it's, it's transitioning and trickling down to her, and she really gets it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a wild thing. I always tell Harper, I, go, I, don't, I don't care about the letter grid. Because I really don't. I do care about effort, and I do know how smart she is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Dad, look how good I did. I'm like, I don't care about the letter grade. You got an A. Okay. Effort. Like, where was the effort in it? This grade's compared to the rest of your class. Theoretically, right? I mean, there's... All the classes. But it's all the classes. But it's it's like, hey, we've decided this is an A for this work. 
But how did you do? How hard did you work? How much did you push yourself to think outside the box? I mean, I, I got lucky, and I've always been lucky, uh, to um, be surrounded by entrepreneurs and people that just thought differently, that, that trained me to think differently. Just go, well, okay, fine, but why? I mean, famous thing from John. Jason, I don't need your gut. I want facts, and then I want to know my options for a transition based on your expertise. And it got me going away from, well, I'm feeling this way, and I, I was right feeling that way. He's like, but dude, this is business, son. I mean, <laughs> I'm paying you money. I don't care if your gut's got butterflies. If you can't back it up, we got a board, man. We got people we got to talk to. We're cutting checks. You better have a reason. You better have a strategy. You better have a methodology. You better have something there. And if it fails, it didn't fail on your gut feeling. It failed on execution. It failed on timing. It failed whatever. But we'll have something to build off of. Because I can't build success off of gut feelings, but I can build success off of failure because you can learn from it and go, all right, I've learned here, I've learned here, I've learned here. Keep moving forward. Keep trying, keep going. And, and that is, you know, if you think about it, that is Rudy, right? Keep trying, keep moving forward, keep doing everything that you can, you know? Uh, I wonder... Oh, powerful scene. Oh, I know. Powerful scene. This is, to me, this is one of those, and I don't know how real this part of the story is, right? Uh, they're turning in their jerseys, folks. They're, they're, they're making their stand for Rudy, if you will. I mean, they're, they're, they're making a statement about what's most important. Yeah. Right? Which is hard work and effort. Hard work and effort. You know, um, everyone knows. Yeah. You know, um, it's crazy that people try to take credit, take credit from other people or, or boost their own ego and, and, and kind of try to claim credit, you know, because everyone, everyone in the office. On you're the not team, seeing, you're not seeing Montana on there. They, didn't see my <laughs> they, they know where, you know, they know who the, 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 the hard workers are. Everyone knows who the hard workers in the office are and who the, the lazy people are, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and this shows it too, you know, on the team, they, they know because they've all stopped, you know, all these great athletes on this team that aren't five foot four, right? Or what is it? Five foot nothing. Five foot nothing. A hundred and nothing. Yeah. Right. That was the line, you know, they know they all paused at practice and watched in awe as that little person got back up time and time again, right? As he dug deeper than they even realized they even had. Right? And that's the kind of thing that you need on a team. That's the kind of thing that makes everybody better. That's the motivation, right? That's the piece. What, um, the intangible. What's that like walking out on the field to screaming fans? What's that feel like? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that I was in a stadium per se, um, but, you know, there's definitely an exhilaration there. There's definitely... Um, an ego boost, you know, there's definitely a feel-good feeling that comes over you. Um, you think you're part of something, you feel special, you feel elite in a sense, mm -hmm. you know. 
can you see why, you know, I mean, obviously there is, and this is why people play longer than they should and do different things, right? I mean, there, there's an addictive quality. I would oh, say, sure. I would say the addictive quality is, I'm going to disagree not being there, but hearing so many professional athletes that I've known, college, sport, you know, uh, professional sports alike, I've asked that question a lot. Somebody like, oh man, you just, you can't, you can't understand. You hear people cheering, man. You do a big play. You hear people cheer. It's awesome. But that's a moment. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think people stick around because of the guys. I don't think they stick. I mean, I think the cheers are, are a bonus to let you know that you can still can do it. But the guys giving you shit for the two plays where you didn't get cheers because you missed or you did something or that camaraderie, that, that time together, that's the anchor. I don't believe it's the cheers. I believe that's a cop-out to the, lack of a better term, machoism of just not saying, no, I need these brothers around me because, God damn it, they're family. They're family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would agree with that yeah. when it comes to ranking, you know, the, the, the yearning and desire and addiction, as you put it, to the screaming fans, you know, that adulation and everything. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's also something more there. Um, and I've experienced it, and I think you get a really good picture of it when you consider, like, fighters. Yeah. Right? You know, um, and Rudy's a great example. You don't quit, Right. You know, sometimes, especially with something like fighting, stopping, not fighting anymore is the right choice, right? It is the wise decision for your health and well-being for the next 40 years of your life. But it all feels like quitting, you know? And so they stay at it way longer than they should. And you got a lot of them that end up getting hurt. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that's... Um, a huge piece of it, you know, and I, I think that even transfers into everyday life, you know, I mean, heck, even just on the job, you know, I had a job I knew was killing me, I knew I didn't like, I knew I wasn't doing good at, right, and, but there was just something about, oh, I can't quit though, you know, I can't, you know, I can't leave, that's, that's too much like quitting, oh, I'm a failure or whatever, you know, but um, kind of acknowledging that and, and being able to accept it and move on, I think is a huge skill that, that, a lot of athletes, you know, um, especially in these kind of sports where you put yourself at risk, you got to develop it. It's important. Going back, you got to have play like a champ today, uh, champion today. I love that because it's true. I mean, we do this challenge. We started it. I tell people about this all the time. I really mean it. Folks, try it at home. You've been doing it. But it is that idea of playing like a champion. It's looking in the mirror saying out loud, I love you to yourself yeah. out loud, which everyone's like, oh, that's stupid. That's easy. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's weird. You feel real dumb. You feel real dumb. But it's real important. I wonder, you know, in all of this, right, in the celebration of gold helmets and the celebration of the underdog and the celebration of commitment and drive and... And no one saying to Rudy, hey, you're great, but just saying, yeah, you deserve to be here now. 
your uh, you get to have one more dinner with your dad. Where is it at? And what are you guys talking about? Man, I mean, I almost want to say it's, it's kind of easy um, because it's home. It's dinner with him at home. At home? With my daughter, you know, um, and that's what we're talking about, her day. You know, what, what she's feeling, what she's doing, um, because that's what it was about. That's what we did, you know. It, it, it wasn't about experiencing something external to the family, something fancy or anything like that. It was about experiencing each other, you know, um, and being there and being like, hey, I'm here. You know, um, I mean, one of the reasons why he was all these things is, you know, we compensate for our parents' shortcomings, right? You sure. Know? And, you know, he, my grandfather, his dad, you know, worked three jobs, you know, and stuff like that, you know, and always put family first, but was in a situation where that time was spent working for the family in a way that didn't allow him to be present, you know, in some of those scenarios where my dad would be playing basketball and look in the stands and there'd be nobody there, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and, and he was never bitter about it because he understood what was going on, but, um, you know, it was something he certainly kept in mind as he was raising us. You know, he's like, I'm going to work just like he did for them, just like he did for me, but I'll also be there. You know, and, and I think he did that beautifully. You know, yeah. I would certainly carry that over into that question, you know, um, because, you know, it, it wouldn't be something fancy. It'd be, I mean, if he sat down at some place that was like, oh my God, some place he could never go because it was some kind of weird scenario where yeah. I one more dinner with him. He'd be like, where's my granddaughter? Yeah. You know, that all, that'd be all he want, you know, 100%. Him cooking? Oh, uh, you maybe. Know, maybe. <laughs> you know, he, he, he did enjoy it. But he also enjoyed sitting back while other people did it and just, you know, kind of having that personal time to chit-chat, to laugh with you and stuff like that, you know. And so um, I certainly think that um, just something at home with the fam, heck, with my ex, you know, um, never met her either. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I know he'd love all of them. And, you know, if I were to have one more night, that's exactly how it would be. That's awesome. That, uh... For, you know, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where that you look at and you go, uh, the values, the things that he placed that were important, right? Uh, that's where it shines through. That's where it shines through because it's like, no, no, we're back at home. We're not at Ruth Chris and we're not getting endless bottles of 82 Chateau Lafitte and, you know, we're... No, we're at home. We're with my kid. We're, you know, we're talking. We're just talking. Those, because uh, those are the moments that, that you cherish, because those, those are the ones you remember. I think it's interesting. I'd like your take on this, because uh, you, you send me a lot of stuff, uh, you know, throughout the week of stuff you read that you find inspirational or important. What do you, uh, I struggle with this, right? Stories versus memories. And I struggle with it because I like creating stories. I like creating environments and opportunities to where there's a story and it's unbelievable. And you're like, I can't believe this happened. Are you? 
for what, how, who, what, when, where, why, right? It's stories. Because memories are anchors. Stories are, are like helium balloons. They kind of, they fly away, but you, you know, they don't go so far away that you can never see them, right? They go a little out of focus. That's the exaggeration part, right? As you get older. Yeah. They go, yeah. But they're there. But memories, man, memories are good and bad. Memories hold you to who you are as a person. Memories cement you into how accountable you hold yourself on the toughest days and on the easiest days. Whereas stories are a distraction to avoid creating memories. I, I, that last part, I think you nailed it, right? I mean, I feel like the memories are the ones that also have the emotion tied in, right? Yep. Where, you know, whereas a story is either something that can draw attention because it's either so positive or so extreme or so negative, right? You know, everyone loves a good, bad story, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, but those, those memories are those things where you're alone and you're doing something, you're cleaning, and you pull something out of somewhere and you start crying. Yep. You know, or you smile or you laugh, right? Because like you're saying, it is so anchored into who you are into what you feel and what you believe into your character that you can't help it, you know? Um, it's connected. Whereas a story seems much more, like you said, balloons, right? It's very flighty. It's very, oh, wow, something shiny, good to look at, you know? And, and again, those things can elicit emotions, I feel like, right? But, you know, nothing is like a memory of a connection, of a moment in time, of something shared. Um, where it just uncontrollably pulls out an emotion, creates an emotion, causes an emotion, um, you know, good, bad, the ugly, all of them, right, within us that ultimately drives things like inspiration, connection, you know, between two people. I think, um, for me, the emotional factor would certainly be the difference between the two. Yeah. You know, the ones that are much more tied to the emotion is, is certainly the memory. And I think people confuse them, right? They're like, oh, that's a good memory. And I'm like, no, that's a good story. Mm -hmm. And I, trust me, I'm good at it. I love a good story. I love creating a good story. I love, I love telling a good story. You know, we sit down with our friends, and, you know, Allison will be like, you just lived the coolest life. I'm like, well, I just tell a good story. We've all lived a cool life. We've all done amazing things, right? But I downplay it because the stories are just fun. Like, that's the icing on the cake. I mean, that's the crispy crust on the pizza, right? It's there. It holds it kind of all together. It lets, you, it, it lets people get a glimpse in. But then are you going to share memories, right? I mean, are you going to really dive into why and who you are and what it means, you know what I mean? Memories of, you know, I love movies because the first time the first time I was with my dad, we went and saw a movie. The first movie we saw together was Superman. I remember driving up to that theater. I remember looking, seeing just the line of people. You know, they had like the 
one o'clock show. The one, you know, every theater was playing Superman. You just didn't know when you're getting in. But you're getting in. There's no pre-buying tickets. But that gave me my love of movies. That connection with a guy that, you know, throughout my life, for 18 years, I probably saw them less than a, than a full year, maybe a, a hair longer. So we, um, you hold on to those memories, right? You don't care about stories. Some are funny. I remember one time I was, we were doing, what the hell are we? We were in Disney. We were going to Disneyland. We're in the hotel room and, you know, he didn't have a lot of money and he had saved up for a year or something and took me to Disneyland. He flew me down from Montana and he flew himself down from Portland and I got to fly all by myself in a plane and not my first time, but I'm flying to LA and we get there and it's like, I don't know, day two or day three and they're like, all right, and they're going to watch a TV show at eight o'clock at night and I go to bed. We're in a hotel room. You got to be out of your mind. I'm going to watch the show with you. And they're like, no, you're not. You're going to go to bed. Turn your head away from the television and go to bed. And I just, wa- I said, you know what? I'm not here to have unfun. <laughs> and I locked myself in the bathroom. What? And my dad was, he's such a passive guy. He's like, come on, Jason, can you, can you come out, son? That'd be great if you came out. It's your dad. And I'm like, I know who you are. I've got your mom on the phone. Don't you lie to me. That's a long distance call. You wouldn't, you wouldn't spend money on that. You know, I'm just like, you know, and then my stepmom's like, hey, listen, the bullshit's over. Um, we've just got to be honest about this. Uh, I have to use the restroom. Motherfucker's got to go. They had to call the manager to come up. And the guy's like, you know what unlocks from the inside? And he, my dad's like, I, I know. I know. Well, I'm used to my old man, Lee. My first stepdad, right? I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me now. He says, me go to bed. The next day, we don't go to Disneyland. I have to wear jeans and a long sleeve shirt. And then I get to go down by the pool and hang out. But I can't get in the water. And I have to sit next to the pool in jeans and a shirt and watch them swim and hang out. <laughs> I'm just like... Um, I have like two dollars and quarters. I'm gonna go to the video game place. I'm like, great! It's 10 a.m. We're doing this till 5 p.m. You gotta milk those motherfucking quarters. You got you, you got eight. You got seven hours. I was not good at video games. I was done with that shit by 10:15. I want something to drink. Water. I want something to eat. Carrots. I'm thirsty. Water. I'm hungry. Eat some carrots. No bullshit. But that memory taught me a lot. Not about my dad, not about my stepmom, but about me when I reflect on it and then how I engage my daughter and what I do. But that was a memory. Not the it's funny to me now. I'm sure it was a shit show for them. Like, that's a story for them. They're like, fuck, that's not a memory. That's a story. It's a story of a petulant child throwing a temper tantrum. For me, it's a memory of trying to understand kids and listen to them in a different way, not saying that I didn't deserve everything I got. I probably deserved an ass kicking too. But I just learned more from it in a different environment, getting older. You know, it was, and those are different. 
you know. Um, but I will take that memory and turn it into a story to entertain people so that they don't have to know about the memories because you don't have to be so close. You, 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 can, you can feel it as you tell it, you know, <laughs> because, you know, I'm listening and, 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 you know, you do a great job of turning things into stories, right? You know, certain people can do that. Um, but all the while, I'm kind of seeing through it because what I'm thinking about is what you're feeling during that time, right? You know, and the way you're talking about it as a memory for you and what you're learning and, and you know, having to think about you not getting in the pool, you know, not being able to hang, you know, and, and just being stuck with the water and the carrots and stuff like that in a couple quarters, you know. Um, you know, that's not a, oh, my God, you know, that's not a made-for-TV story, right? That, that's, no one's turning that into a movie, right? Different strokes is like, no, we're going to pass. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> you know, but here we are. You, it's a memory, you know. You're pulling it out, and it's just as real for you, the emotions, the lessons, things that you felt, right? That's, I think you're highlighting it right there. You know, that's exactly what a memory is. You know, it's those things that like, maybe somebody who's talented enough could turn into a story, but ultimately the value and the thing I remember about the memory is how I felt, what I learned, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So uh, we're at the end here. Rudy is over. He's the last guy that was carried off. Once again, I don't want to go through the list of all the great people that could have been carried off that field. God bless him. God bless him. God bless him. Um, you know, you can go to the store, buy bread. I bought some bananas the other day. I ended up freezing them. Little fuckers go brown in an instant. Avocados, those pesky little bastards. You're like, are you ready? Are you ready? Psych, I'm rotten. You're like, well, you're only $19 a piece. So I'll just get two more. Two more. Turn you into a latte. Uh, we get that privilege. We get to go get stuff when we want to. And the, the one thing we don't get back is time. So thank you for spending the time sharing the stories, the insights of your life, football, how it impacted, you know, how Rudy was a part of that. Um, but, but more importantly, just, you know, uh, you shared something with, with all of us, all the listeners, everybody is, is, you know, something that you won't get back. And, uh, I greatly appreciate that. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, man. It, it was, it was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Thank you very much. And with that folks, I leave you with your favorite part of the podcast. That's right. Kids that time when Harper took a shit by herself and sang about it and Joy.